This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Well, everybody, welcome to our weekly live stream and podcast here on theillinois.com. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write the uh, daily, the Illinois newsletter, covering statewide politics and government and keeping an eye on, on the things that are happening around the state. And we are uh, mercifully a uh, little less than two weeks away from Election Day. And uh, it's uh, it's the Wild West out there, it seems. We've got uh, uh, candidates bickering and fighting and telling lies and uh it's it's really uh it's been quite a <laughs> quite an environment uh this year uh maybe more than we've seen before and maybe that just accounts to the the sort of political environment that we're in right now but it's it's uh it's disappointing to see you know from from the race for governor all the way all the way down to local legislative races just how uh, how bitter and and uh, how devoid from the truth uh, many of these campaigns are, and and that's Republicans and Democrats. Uh, you know, I've talked about Mary Kay O'Brien's Supreme Court ad that that seemingly made up Mike Bur- Mike Burke's abortion position, or or the you know hyperbole that's come out about the cash bail situation, which while it needs to be clarified and needs to have have fixes to to specify you know what a judge has the ability to do calling it the end of the world is probably not accurate so it's it's just one of those one of those frustrating things that that those of us who try to look at both sides with uh with a little bit of of fairness and and a little bit of a skeptical eye say hey neither side has the has the corner on the truth and that's one of the 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 things that we we keep trying to push out here is that it's it's not necessarily a party that has good ideas or is telling the truth it's it's candidates it's it's you know, situations, it's issues, and those are the things we need to focus on. So we're focusing today on Amendment 1, which is the Workers' Rights Amendment, as it's been dubbed by supporters, uh, which is at the top of the ballot. Uh, it's very first question you see. It's it's vaguely worded. Uh, if, if you aren't paying close attention to it, essentially, supporters say it gives all employees the the right to bargain in Illinois, but uh, essentially those employees already have the right to bargain in Illinois, and those are all uh, followed by federal statute. So uh, I, I ask supporters why it needs to be done, and I ask opponents about their rhetoric that that this will somehow raise property taxes. So we'll uh, we'll be joined by Miley Smith from the Illinois Policy Institute, the conservative libertarian group that has an organized opposition to the amendment. And we begin with Tim Dre, who's the 
uh, president of the AFL-CIO in Illinois. So we're talking about the workers' rights amendment, amendment one, depending on, on who you ask and what you call it, uh, the top of the ballot uh, on November 8th or whenever you get your ballot. Uh, we are pleased to be welcomed by Tim Dre. He's the president of the Illinois AL, AFL-CIO, uh, which of course is in favor uh, of the amendment. Tim, let me start here. What does this do? Because I don't think it's clear to a lot of people. Okay. Hey, well, hey thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me on. Um, the Workers' Rights Amendment is very, very, actually very simple. It provides a fundamental right for every worker in the state to engage in collective bargaining. It gives every worker in the state a right, a fundamental right to a safe workplace. It provides that we will not have any diminishment of the of the safety laws that's been enacted over the past 120 years in the state of in the state statute, and and then finally it it provides for the uh, protection uh, to allow workers the freedom to collectively bargain in their workplace. But they now, but they the, already have those rights, don't they, Tim? Um, you know, yes. They, they do have, we do have those rights, but what we're doing with this amendment is we're preserving those, those rights. So uh, again, you know, through the years, we've been very, very, uh, Illinois is a very, very good, strong, uh, highly union culture state. And so all we're really doing is taking the rights that our fathers and our mothers and our grandmothers and grandfathers and their mothers and fathers have gained through the years and putting those rights in a lockbox that says they cannot be diminished and stating in the state constitution that workers have where you know the um you know you spend a large majority of your life at of your adult life at work and so we wanted to make sure that that those rights are preserved in the workplace the right to a work safe place so you know when you go to work in the morning we want you to come home from work. We want you to come home from work, you know, all in one piece and, and, and uh, you know, without um, workplace illnesses and injuries and things like that. So the right to a fundamental workplace is very, very important. And, uh, you know, with the economic security um, that, um, that, you know, people can live strong middle-class lifestyles, uh, all workers from domestic workers to PhDs. It's, it's, uh, you know, we want, working families to succeed and this amendment we believe protects them and helps them to succeed so the, the, here's here's one of the the questions that that i'm most unclear on i think because the way you all the supporters including the governor on 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 down to the ads that you all are running um make this appear to be uh protecting the amazon workers the uh, the coal miners, the you know, up and down the list. But I, I went back and I pulled the transcript from from last year when it was put on the ballot. And Ram Vilivalam, who's the the senator that put the issue forward, um, said, and I'll just read it real quick. Uh, what he said: the amendment refers to employees and not workers or individuals. This was done with intention. As the members of this house should be aware, the National Labor Relations Act governs organizing and collective bargaining in the private sector and as such preempts any direct state regulation of the subject. So he's even admitting seemingly that that this would have absolutely 
no power, no no proof or no role because the national federal, the federal labor laws already supersede it. Do you disagree with that? Well, I, Senator Vellidalem is a very, very strong supporter of labor rights. And so I think what he was saying there is the fact that what really happens is that this amendment will give every worker in the state the right to collectively bargain. Once they have that right, they can come together in the workplace collectively. But do and, they not have that now? Uh, yes. And then they can go through, but not a stated right. It's it's not stated in the Constitution that you do have that right. And once they go to, once they, they petition that, yes, we want to have a union, then they would go through the National Labor Relations Act to certify the election. Uh, you know, the NLRA is what governs uh, the union elections. So you'd still be going through the, uh, the uh, federal process, but we would be providing a right in the state constitution in order to do that. Um, again, where you spend the majority of your adult life, you would have the right to have a say, a very strong say on the job, a right, a fundamental right to do so. My guess is when I have uh, our next guest on, who's from the Policy Institute, she's going to, to, to make the argument that this is kind of a power grab by public sector unions that are trying to lock themselves into a better negotiating stance, no matter who the governor is, no matter what the legislature looks like in the future. Uh, obviously, there is a a line in this state that's sort of been drawn on on public versus private sector unions and 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 who supports what and who doesn't but uh in terms of the the public sector union part of this when when we're not talking about coal miners or people who can you know get run over by a dump truck we're talking about people who are answering phones at, at you know a, a state office why why do public sector unions need the same protections that that you believe private sector union people do? Well, it, it's very, you know, in the pandemic, there were people showing up and going to work, you know, to to provide uh, unemployment benefits to those people who were all of a sudden like overnight laid off. So there were people um, in, in, in public in, uh, public employment, you know, certainly um, uh, positions in public employment that work in mental health facilities and correctional facilities and, and places like that. The fundamental right to a safe workplace is very, very important to those people. Um, and, you know, there's there's other areas of state employment that people really don't just, you know, our, our, our people are, are park rangers and in, in, um, in the state parks and things like that. You know, they're, they're uh, police officers. I mean, when you stop and think, there's a lot of people in the state of Illinois that work for the state of Illinois, work for the people of the state of Illinois, and they deserve a safe workplace as well. And I, I can't think of a better example than really uh, uh, brave men and women who who are in law, law enforcement. But, but they're already they're already unionized. They're already protected. Yes, in, in terms of state police, well, not not. I, I'm not going to say all all uh, public safety people are are uh, unionized. I'm sure there are a few out there that that still haven't been. So um, you know, but still, it guarantees them uh, the right to a safe workplace. You know, even with or without a collective bargaining agreement, 
um, public safety people would have the right to a, a safe workplace. Is, is this pushback from Bruce Rauner's right to work I issue? Well, certainly, you know, uh, Bruce Rauner was a wake up call. Um, you know, again, the, we had governors in the state of Illinois, uh, Governor Edgar, certainly Governor Thompson, um, those governors respected and, and sat down and listened to public employees, much like Governor Pritzker does. And, um, but Bruce Rauner came in with an agenda and his agenda was to break unions. And so, you know, we thought that it makes sense that we need a constitutional protection against people who come in and, and uh, um, you know, want to um, deny workers safe, the right to a safe workplace or the right to uh, middle-class wages and things like that. So yeah, Bruce Rauner was absolutely a wake up call to, to unions and, uh, um, and, you know, the next Bruce Rauner could be waiting in the wings. Listen, everything's political. So, so I think this has got to be a part of it that, you know, there's, there's no secret out there that, that private or public sector unions tend to support Democrats. If you look at fundraising reports, uh, Democrats are a huge, or unions are a huge funder of Democratic candidates and, uh, and their issues. Is, is this a situation in which uh, Democrats and unions are in cahoots to help keep the gravy oh, train rolling? No, 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 not at all. That's, uh, yes, I, I, I'll be the first to admit that uh, the majority of uh, our endorsements and funding uh, go to Democrats, but then, you know, when we look at voting records, we're very, very honest about this. We provide every two years, put together a voting record of the members of the General Assembly. Um, when, uh, if it's an open seat, we send out questionnaires to uh, to all the candidates, Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, and, you know, we judge our their responses and make our endorsements. So, um, I, you know, we have a history of, of, um, um, supporting Democrats because when we in the in the in the lawmaking process, uh, they are usually, for the most part, more friendly to us. Now, that's not saying we when this was put on the ballot, uh, it received uh, overwhelming support in the Senate. I think I got 51 or 52 votes in the Senate, and in the House we had uh, 84. Very a very very bipartisan vote to put this on the amendment. And then we've seen uh, walk pieces that um, of Republican candidates endorsing the Workers' Rights Amendment. So I, I, I you know, it's worker safety and, and improving the lives of working families is not a partisan issue. It is absolutely bipartisan. All right. So in in the effectiveness of this, how it would actually work? Let's let's use Amazon or Starbucks as as a uh, as an example, just because they're they're the ones in the news. When, when a, a Starbucks employee or an Amazon employee wants to organize a union, they immediately start following a, the national standard, the National Federal, the Federal Labor Relations Act and all of those rules. So I come back to this, like when, when we're talking about Amazon, when we're talking about Starbucks, when we're talking about, again, a, a coal miner in Southern Illinois, how, how does this actually help them when everything that they do in the process of creating a union or being organized by a union 
falls under federal law. Well, it would it would provide again the right. It, it gives people a right. You know, like you know, we have many many rights, voting rights and things like that. And it would give them the right to, under the Illinois Constitution, the law of the land, it would give them the right to engage in that collective bargaining process. Um, it would be an enumerated right to engage in that process rather than, you know, just, well, sure, you can do it. But we would recognize uh, the voters of Illinois would be recognizing the right for people to collectively engage in, in, uh, in, in, in making improvements in the workplace. Tim, before we let you go, uh, maybe just a broader question about unions moving forward. Uh, you've seen the studies, I'm sure, and, and the reporting that, uh, you know, 2016 and 2020, a lot of those blue collar union guys, uh, guys and gals, moved more toward Trump than they ever had a Republican uh, presidential candidate before. And, and you're seeing, you know, and, and polling shows this, results show this, that, that maybe some of those specifically private sector, you know, the the, the blue collar kind of jobs are are voting a little more Republican than they ever have before. Is 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 the AFL-CIO specifically, but you can say unions in general. Are you guys maybe staying farther left than your 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 membership is moving? No, no, no. I, I don't think so, Patrick. I mean, obviously, again, we judge candidates by what they do, or act, uh, legislators, candidates and legislators by what they do. So we send out a 50, 55 uh, uh, questionnaire um, and, you know, to candidates. We look at every vote that's taken in the General Assembly and we, we, we just, yes or no, did, did this person support us? Yes or no. And if they have, we tell our members that. Um, you know, certainly when it comes to issues with executive offices, you know, uh, do we, uh, how do we judge those, 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 those people, uh, those candidates and office holders, incumbents? And it's the same thing, you know, are they good on uh, prevailing uh, project labor agreements? Do they support prevailing wage and things like that? So, uh, you know, the individual voters have different bells and whistles. We stay in our lane and and look at the issues that affect working families. It's interesting that you bring that up because I was just going to reference the line from Darren Bailey at the first debate a couple of weeks ago where he called on unions to stay in their lane. Did you take that as a warning shot? No, no, not at all. You know, I took it as, you know, um, that's exactly what we're doing. We're staying in our lane, you know, workplace safety, uh, workplace, you know, trying to improve uh, workers' lives uh, in, in the workplace. That's what we do. That's exactly what we do day in and day out. You know, we, uh, from from minimum wage to all issues that affect workers, that is our lane. And, and, and Patrick, we intend to stay there. And no matter who is governor, no matter who is in charge of the legislature, no matter who is president, no matter, no matter what, we are going to stay in our lane and talk to uh, advocate for workers. That's, that's our charge and that's what we do. 
Tim Dre, president of the Illinois AFL-CIO in support of Amendment 1, the Workers' Rights Amendment. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. Patrick, thank you. On your side, we bring in Miley Smith, uh, who handles labor issues for the Illinois Policy Institute. The Policy Institute has put together uh, one of the uh, organized oppositions, uh, opposition campaigns to to Amendment 1, the Workers' Rights Amendment. So, uh, Miley, let's start here. You know, Tim Dre, who was just here, said this is a, a way to protect workers and, and help people come home safe at the end of the day. Why is this bad policy in your mind? You know, I, I think that if this was really about workers' protections, that's something that people could get behind. But that is not what Amendment 1 does. Amendment 1 is actually a first-of-its-kind constitutional amendment that will drive up taxes and will cement Illinois' reputation as one of the worst places to do business. Um, and the, the way it does that is that it grants a fundamental right to unionize to government unions, and then it expands bargaining for government unions beyond wages and benefits, those things that we typically think of being negotiated at the table. Um, and, in, and instead includes broad new subjects that have never been tested anywhere else, like economic welfare. And then it prohibits lawmakers as the people's representatives from ever enacting reforms or fixes. So they could never say, you know, they could discover, oh, wow, you know, a few years from now, we didn't intend for this language to be so broad. They couldn't go back and enact legislation that restricts the subjects that government unions are demanding um, without running afoul of the Constitution. They also couldn't restrict strikes by government workers. So the way this all, you know, plays together is that government union contracts, which already cost money, are going to cost even more money because of these expanded provisions that will be in the contracts. And that will be passed on to taxpayers. And that's really what's at stake with this here in November. So I'll, I'll get to the public sector union part of this, but let's, let's start with the private workers because I think that's one of the main points of contention here. And, and, and I, I read the the line from Ram Vilivalam in, in the debate last year where, where he said it doesn't apply to private sector or private sector workers. But uh, that's the message that's being put forward is that this is a way to protect your Amazon workers, your Starbucks workers, the people who are trying to unionize. I, I read that as these guys are already protected under federal law. So so how do you see that? So I think that this amendment was written very broadly to appeal to voters, to make them think that they're voting for something that this really isn't. Um, the Supreme Court has been very clear, and they are that final authority on what law preempts or trumps other laws. And they have been explicit that states cannot regulate any activity that the National Labor Relations Act protects, prohibits, or arguably protects or prohibits. That's from a 1986 case. But that is the law of the land right now. States, if a the federal government already occupies a space, the state can't come in and also try to regulate that space. And you're absolutely correct that National Labor Relations Act already provides strong protections for workers in the private sector. And that, because that is there, this amendment cannot apply to the private sector. So you have the Supreme Court saying that very explicitly, and you're right. Senator Villavallum during um, Senate debate also said that as federal law stands today, the amendment cannot apply to the private sector. 
devil's advocate, though, I, you know, the the legislature in Illinois essentially codified Roe in, in state law uh, in in the event that the courts overturned it, uh, which they eventually did, uh, or, or at least sent it back to the states. Is is there an argument here that enshrining labor rights in the Illinois Constitution prevents any sort of questions if federal law were to change dramatically? So the first thing to remember is that the National Labor Relations Act isn't going anywhere. It's been around for decades, well before Roe versus Wade, if we're making that like apples to oranges comparison. So it's been around for decades and it isn't going away. If anything, government union or private sector unions have been strengthened through any amendments that have been made or things that the National Labor Relations Board has done. The second thing to remember is that if you're looking at the abortion issue, how is the federal government trying to kind of overcome what the court has done? It's by putting it into federal law. That is what we're hearing Democrats say that they want to do. So the fix there is to put it into federal law. Um, so this isn't a case where, oh, all of a sudden the Supreme Court is going to change things and the National Labor Relations Act isn't going to apply anymore. This is steady, set federal law that's not going anywhere. And, and I think that is it's fair that it is apples to oranges because of, of court precedent and, and law, of course. But uh, but I, I do think it's a it's at least their, you know, their their opinion. So on the public sector union part, uh, mm -hmm. going back to the the Billy Vallum comments, he said, we contend the status quo would be acceptable under the amendment for for public sector unions. They're saying it wouldn't change. Uh, how why do you disagree with that? Well, because of the way this is worded, if we were just going with the status quo, um, government unions in Illinois already have a right to unionize. They have a right to bargain. They have a right to bargain over wages, hours, and terms and conditions of employment. That language is in this amendment, but then it adds more language. Economic welfare and safety at work. Economic welfare is not defined in the amendment. It's not used in our state law. It's not used in other states or their constitutions. It's not used in the National Labor Relations Act. We have no way, it's completely untested. We have no way to know what that means. And I have heard proponents of the amendment admit in various media outlets, you know, we just don't know what, you, you can't say it'll raise property taxes because we just don't know what will be in these contracts. That's the danger. You know, before this, we knew it would be wages, hours, or terms and conditions of employment. And how do you how do you make that connection? Sorry to interrupt you. How do you make that connection to to property tax rates and and this amendment? Because yes. it it looks like a bit of a stretch. So government contracts already cost money. That is undeniable. So the current Chicago Teachers Union contract, it's a five-year contract, is estimated to cost taxpayers $1.5 billion. CTU is a great example here of what could happen if this amendment passes. Something that CTU has tried to negotiate that they're really not able to negotiate right now are things like housing allowances. They have wanted the city to take a position on rent control, to advocate for certain things legislatively. Those are things that will drive up the cost of government. They're not currently in the already expensive contracts, contracts that cost money, but when you're adding more subjects into a contract, that is going to increase the cost of the contract. 
And you have to remember too that they will, under this amendment, have a permanent right to strike. That's unusual. Illinois is already an outlier in our region for allowing most or some or all government union workers to strike. Um, none of our surrounding states allow that. So they have a right to demand a broad range of things, go on strike to get those demands met, shutting down government services. And the cost of those contracts has to come from somewhere. And it's it's going to be the taxpayers. But they come from taxpayers anyway, right now. And 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 whether you're in, you know, whether you're in a suburban school district which has high property taxes and great schools, or you're in a, a rural school district that has high property taxes and not great schools, uh, or the city of Chicago, which has both. Um, is how I mean, if you want good teachers, if you want good employees, if you want, you know, plenty of people who can fight fires and and protect the streets, et cetera, these things are going to cost money anyway. So I, I, I guess, if, don't you want, don't you want these to cost a little bit of money? Well, there's two things there. You're exactly correct. They already cost money and they already have a right to bargain over wages and benefits. So those things that are directly funding or directly paying our government workers are already in those bargaining powers. What this amendment does is expand it to additional subjects that don't necessarily benefit the workers themselves. Um, Chicago Teachers Union has, has demanded defunding of banks, um, could be economic welfare. Um, there are so many things that could be economic welfare that don't really help the government worker out, but helps the government union's agenda. And everyone, you know, everyone is going to see the effect. Those, those workers themselves are also going to see the effect of these tax increases that come from the cost of these contracts. And you're right, like, I think just to kind of break it down so it's a little bit easier, let's say on a very basic level, a contract right now has five provisions and they can negotiate those five, which they can negotiate much more than that. But let's say they can negotiate five provisions. Under the amendment, now they'll be able to negotiate eight provisions or they try to negotiate eight provisions. Um, those additional provisions cost money. So while these contracts already cost money, they're going to cost more money, and that is what is going to drive up taxes. Do you believe that private sector workers, Amazon and Starbucks are the ones that are in the news, do you believe they have the right to organize and have the right to, uh, to establish a union in their workplaces? So we believe that people have the freedom of association. So that would include the freedom of creating their union. That in itself is a constitutional right. Um, where unions have crossed the line for years is that they're forcing people to be a part of their union, even if people don't want to be in that union. And so I think the from a broader perspective, we should encourage people to make that decision for themselves. If they want to join a union, that's great. If they don't want to join a union, they should also have that right. And right now in the private sector in Illinois, they don't have that right. So uh, the left is going to look at, at your opposition to this and say, these are the the right wing rounder rights that, that hate unions and hate public sector employees and, and, and want to bankrupt their rights. So, so why, why should we look at what 
again, I mean, in the same way, is where are you coming from in here? Is this is this because it's good policy or is this because it's bad politics for you? It this is <laughs> this amendment is bad policy. It's going to drive up everyone's taxes, whether you are a union member or not. Like I said, they already have broad rights. And those rights won't go away if this amendment doesn't pass. So they already have broad rights to negotiate for wages and hours and terms and conditions of employment, those things that are traditionally negotiated. This goes above and beyond that. And this is something that no state has ever tried. Contrary to what proponents have said, no state has, there are four provisions, no state has any of these provisions, let alone all four of them. That includes Hawaii, which is commonly cited by proponents. Hawaii is really nothing like this. And in fact, gives deference to lawmakers in their constitution to um, make laws related to labor, as opposed to Amendment 1, which prohibits lawmakers from doing that. Do you, do you believe the advertising that, that's been out there and the governor's rhetoric as well has been very much in the I believe people have the right to to organize, have the right to unionize, that that this Im, this impacts private business, that regular workers, you know, Joe Blow out there. Do you believe that that's been disingenuous? I do, because first of all, we have to remember that there are four provisions. The first three provisions that have to do with the these rights that are fundamental that are being created only apply to the government sector because of the National Labor Relations Act. The fourth provision is a right to work ban. We aren't a right to work state as it is. That isn't on the table. Um, even though during the rounder years, it was something that he supported, there was never even a bill that got to the hearing stage in our General Assembly. So right to work has never been on the horizon, is not on the horizon now. Um, I think that workers are being scared into thinking that they have to have this or they will lose their jobs. And that is disingenuous. And what it really will do is make it harder for them to live here because it will drive up their taxes. It will also make it harder to find jobs um, because we already know that businesses are leaving Illinois, citing our poor business climate and our high taxes. And that jobs exodus is only going to get worse if this amendment passes. Before we let you go, um... Is, is there, you know, I, I live in the suburbs, so I've seen more than a few yards. They have Republican candidate signs and vote yes for this amendment in, in their yard. So they're, uh, it, it's, it's not necessarily a partisan breakdown, but right. can't, do you see this as a way where you can, you can look at this and say, I support unions, I support teachers unions, I support people having the right to organize, but still don't support this amendment? Absolutely. And we have on our website, which is IllinoisPolicy.org, a section called Your Story. And we have already told the story of multiple union workers or former union members who have supported their unions in the past, but have said, no, this isn't about unions. This isn't about my rights as a worker. This is about union leadership and giving them broader power to get their agendas basically into law through their contracts rather than using the legislative process. So I absolutely believe that you can be supportive of your teachers, you can be supportive of your local government workers and not support this amendment because it's going to raise everyone's taxes, including those workers and, and teachers and others. Miley Smith, staff attorney and director of labor policy for the Illinois Policy Institute. Uh, Miley, thanks so much for the time and the conversation. Thank you.
All right. So there's uh, your conversation with uh, Miley Smith uh, from the Illinois Policy Institute, as well as uh, Tim Dre uh, from the Illinois AFL-CIO, who, uh, who joined us before that. Uh, I, I'm not here to tell you how to vote. That's that's not my job. That's not what I do. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's up to you. Uh, but but we wanted to give you the ability to at least hear from both sides uh, as you you try to make a decision on this, especially because it's hard to find a lot of uh, accurate information out there uh, as as people are are headed to the polls and trying to to figure out what. Uh, what they're going to do on on the issue, and of course, you know, many people have already voted. Uh, I'm one of them. Already sent my my ballot in by mail, um, and and you know, it, it's it's I think important uh, for uh, people to know what's what's behind their vote, what's what's important uh, to know as they get ready to uh, uh, send their ballot in or or go vote on election day especially when it comes to changing the, the state constitution. Before we let you go um, this, this afternoon, uh, we uh, had a story for subscribers this morning that uh, there's some optimism for Republicans that uh, it appears from what we're hearing that uh, in polls, uh, they are closing a, across the board uh, in a Republican fashion in the uh, final two weeks uh, before election day. And and while the general consensus is that things like the race for governor, the race for US Senate, statewide races uh, likely aren't in play, uh, the, the closing in the gap could be a good thing for down ticket races, whether it's congressional races, you have Three of them listed as toss-ups by by real clear, real clear politics. A couple less by um, Cook or five thirty-eight uh, in the the thirteenth, which is the Deering Budzinski race. The sixth now the Peacock uh, Caston race, and the fourteenth, which is the Grider Underwood race. The seventeenth has already been one of those on the list that's leaning Republican, even though it's held. Uh, by a Democrat right now, uh, that's um, the Esther Joy King and Eric Sorensen uh, race uh, that's kind of got the Quad Cities and Peoria and Rockford too. It 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 appears that uh, as as moderates are making up their minds, they're they're tending to break a little more Republican, uh, and and that at least by polling, and a couple of the pollsters that I talked to yesterday uh, said that. It's, it's because abortion, while it's the maybe number one list, if you ask everybody, that's because it's more Democrats than Republicans, than independents, uh, as, as you look at the state as a whole. But if you look at the moderates and the undecideds, abortion's maybe third or fourth on that list. So, so you're seeing the issue for, for moderates, for undecideds, uh, being economic issues. And, and it's really interesting to me that if those are the ones that need to break, uh, all Democrats have been talking about is abortion. It's, it's been what they've put their, their entire campaigns into. Uh, it, it's, it's all abortion all the time. All you have to do is turn on the TV, and that's, that's what all of the Democratic candidates are, are, are airing their 
uh, their stuff on. So, so it's going to be really interesting over the the final two weeks to see if if Democrats shift their messaging a little bit, try and find a more economic line that they can come up with, uh, or if they're just uh, dancing with the girl that brought them. And and it's going to be going to be interesting to see because it sounds like uh, everything across the board is tightening and. It's uh, it, it it's it may not be the bloodbath that Republicans and Democrats alike expected it to be, uh, as little as two weeks ago. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out. Obviously, over the next couple of weeks, but but it sounds like the the ground is kind of shifting underneath our feet a little bit, uh, as we're we're in the final two weeks here. So we'll we'll keep an eye on that as well. So that's it for us today. Thanks so much for for taking time to to join us. Uh, if you're if you're joining us uh, on on our live stream, thank you. Uh, we'll have it up on YouTube as well. And if you're uh, listening on our podcast, thanks so much for for taking the time uh, to download as well. Uh, we we really appreciate your support, your time. Uh, if you if you're not getting our daily newsletter, go to theillinois.com uh, and click uh, subscribe up in the top right corner. Uh, you can get our free versions of newsletters and emails that come out uh, three times a week. Uh, that and, and then you can also become a paid subscriber uh, that gets uh, exclusive content uh, every day from us. So thanks so much for for taking the time to join us. Uh, in, enjoy uh, the the Halloween weekend and and uh, hopefully you get a few more uh, little goblins and ghouls knocking on your doors than politicians. Uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks so much, everyone, and uh, have a great day.